also say a toe to so. You know what? A toe to so. A fucking a toe to so. Hello and welcome to this bonus episode of The Bottleman. Um, we, it is uh, B, Dan, it's uh, Riley on the ones and Hello. twos. Yeah, well, yes, I am. I'm, I'm, on, I'm on the ones and twos. Um, I've downloaded an app called DJ on my uh, MacBook that is now starting to slow down. Uh, and I am here. I'm, I'm here scratching anytime... Um, because whenever we start talking about like I don't know a uh, historical Nazi that gets rehabilitated into like Canada's like intellectual elite or whatever, I actually have to beat match that uh, with uh, <laughs> us talking about uh, you know some dumbass thing that Christian Freeland wrote later. Yeah, big scratch and a uh, big bass drop every time we mention a yeah, uh, rehabilitated fascist. So that's right. Uh, it's um. Uh, it's uh, it's it is uh, an eight-hour uh, hypnotic rehabilitated fascist set uh, that is being played at <laughs> at uh, Griezmüller, except Lo- that place is now closed. It's uh, lo-fi Bandera beats to study and relax to. <laughs> um, That's right. And we are joined once again by uh, journalist, my friend Yasha Levine, back on the we. We got to pretend also like, on the ones and twos. Also on the ones. And, oh, Yash is yeah. on the Yash is on the threes and fours. Uh-huh. I'm on the fives. I don't even know what the fuck that means. You just you're on the beats. <laughs> oh, he's, he's just you mean like it's the shift, the shift, the the the. the I don't As a new father, I guess you don't get out to nightclubs, but they've got these things called DJs now, where they play two records oh, at the this- same time. <laughs> I don't know if you've heard of this. Oh, that's what it is. Uh, that's right. All right. Yeah. So yeah. You, you came on here to... And they mix yeah, them. You, you came on here to yeah. teach us a little something about... Uh, but there's two of you, but I'm the third. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. That's well, though, because we're... we're the, that's that's because we're here replacing the Swedish house mafia. That's right. And you're the that's hype man, now. my friend. Yeah. Um, and speaking, speaking of big beats, um, I'd like to everyone uh, to cast their minds back to the summer of 1977. Disco is at an all-time high. Uh, nothing can possibly go wrong with disco. And at the same time, Canada's favorite girl boss. Donna Summer releases I Feel Love, as a matter of fact, one of the uh, 20th century's greatest songs. That's right. So, so in the summer of I Feel Love, Canada's favorite girl boss, Christia Freeland, moves from uh, Peace River, Alberta, to Edmonton when her mother, Halina Freeland, uh, divorces her husband and this allows Christia to get to know her grandfather and become steeped in her Ukrainian roots. Mm-hmm. That's right. As a child of divorce, that's the main thing about her. That's right. That's what it is. Uh, it's interesting from divorce to fascism. It's like it's mm-hmm. if only her family hadn't broken up, you know, she'd be a she'd be a communist exactly. now. Well, I mean, right. there is an argument that that might be true. Um, so under the. Uh, I yeah. doubt it. <laughs> given, given sort of, you know, what her other family members are engaged in, but yeah, let, let, I will, I, I'm sorry, I don't want to interrupt. So under the influence of um, Mihailo and her uncle Bogdan, um, who we're going to learn more about soon, um, she, she starts uh, becoming engaged with her personal history, her ethnic personal history. So she goes to uh, her genetic her history, genetic, her, ep, her she, epigenetic history. 
She does an Assassin's Creed where she uh, walks around Ukraine annoying the KGB. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's true, though. Uh, she starts attending these things called PLAST, which are um, youth camps. Kind of... Uh, and there's a recent article in Alberta Life where she describes these camps as uh, very socialist, almost like a kibbutz. But the, the other added element to the camp is, uh, you know nationalist myth making uh-huh so, so you're saying that it has it is socialist but also nationalist it's socialist with nationalist tendencies it's some kind of a nationalist and socialist <laughs> <laughs> yeah so she gets in deep with this community through her family um at age 11 her uncle bogdan uh interviews her for the nationalist ukrainian newspaper student um and as she enters her teens, uh, she ends up writing for Radio Free Liberty. But at age 20... Oh, those guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah, those Radio guys. Free Liberty. That's how you know. I mean, like I look, that's how I know she actually is a secret communist. Because um, I, if you recall, uh, Joe, Joe McCarthy campaigned against Radio Free Liberty and Radio Free Europe uh, as being uh, tools of, co- of the communist uh, uh, conspiracy. That's because, right. Because uh, he was too dumb to understand them. Exactly. <laughs> so, so her real big break in this community, though, comes at, at age 20, um, where she helps edit and collate this giant historical whitewash of the nationalist movement written by her grandfather's old boss, uh, Vladimir Kubiovich. And this... This thing is called the Encyclopedia of Ukraine. And what it really was was an encyclopedia of the idea of a Ukrainian nation state. It was, it was yeah. in a way, not unlike the Victims of Communism Memorial, like a physical object um, that would make these myths that we talked about in our previous episode a little more tangible, a little more real. Mm-hmm. And uh, Kubiovich was the head of the Ukrainian Central Committee that helped organize the Waffen-SS Division Galicia, um, basically as it became clear that Germany was going to get their ass kicked in, in 1943. He somehow escaped I mean, the Soviet army and was in France at the time, and this was his lifelong project. I mean, any, any encyclopedia is basically an, an, an ideal... They're all an, a, deeply ideological projects. Like Encyclopedia Britannica, for example, it's... A, a British imperial uh, uh, ideological project, you know the the encyclopedia, the Great Encyclopedia of France was essentially a, a sort of early liberal ideological project. Like this idea of we are going to collect and and explain neutrally all of the things that there are to know about something or indeed everything mm-hmm. is just always a a, a bit of myth making. You just have to identify what myth what myths it's making. Yeah, but this it always it it speaks from a position, a sort of imagined position of of sort of 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 majesty, essentially, and and claims and 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 always like that's the nature of the of the form of the form of encyclopedia just is that. Yeah. Um, it's it's important to remember also sort of what we've sort of talked about in the previous episode as well, which is like that's this it's important if you're going to make. A, a Germany, if you're going to make an Italy, if you're going to make a Ukraine, you need to you need to create myths about how 
it goes back to time immemorial, how there are there is something beyond just a political ambition. It has to be something to do with destiny or biology or or something like this. Or in the case of Germany and Italy, you know, language. Mm. You know, they, they, but these are young these are nation states that are sort of young as political entities that are sort of trying to create for themselves a history. It just so happens that because of how the twentieth century went so much of sort of Ukrainian myth-making for the creation of its national history, as you said, Yasha, was happening in Canada. Yeah. Basically. The, the modern, yeah. if you want to see the... Or it was, yeah, it was, or, 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 or Poland or Austria-Hungary, you know, um, like, because there was never a Ukraine, you know, especially the, the part of Ukraine that birthed nationalism was always part of uh, uh, some other empire mm. and was not even given sort of a, like, yeah, so so... So yeah, of course it it did it, it, whether it's whether it's Austria-Hungary, uh, Poland, or Canada, you know that's where that's where the stuff was born. Yeah. yeah. If you want to see a good example of this and- in action uh, in 2021, uh, I highly recommend Balkan YouTube comments. <laughs> that, I mean, I'm joking a little bit, but this is this project is basically the Balkan YouTube comments of its time. It is the it is the Albanian screaming at a guy who posts uh, a Greek music video saying that Greeks are actually Albanians and uh, <laughs> so is Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll, you know, you, you know, you know, what's funny to me though about, you know, these, these Ukraine, damn, I didn't, yeah, yeah. Because uh, it was the greater Albania covers, um, covers, you know, the yeah, Levant. Albania basically. on three C's. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah well you know what's funny about all these okay so all these people you know all these ukrainian nationalists who went to canada and started to sort of like re um to shore up this idea of the ukrainian nation um you know they're, they're just they're just kind of like i mean they're they're they're, they're kind of winning now i guess because their their ideology is sort of the, the is has become kind of the main ideology ideology of of modern day ukraine and modern day ukrainian um political culture but they're just such losers. I mean, like you know, they were willing to. Uh, they were willing to. They, they I mean, not willing to. They um, swore fealty and uh, allegiance to Nazi Germany. You know, uh, and to, to personally to Adolf Hitler, um, even though he considered them to be, you know, basically subhuman, or that there were some of them that might, you know, be that could be rescued. You know, that weren't just fucking Slavic uh, degenerates. You know, that could be rescued, but it's they'd have to be very selective and really wanted to just plow over. Their fucking their whole land and take it over and and to treat them like you know the the, the American settlers or the European settlers in America um, treated the indigenous population and sort of the indigenous Indian population you know just total annihilation uh, with you know pockets of, of of Ukrainians that are maybe you know the the, the purest most Aryanizable. Right of the Ukrainians sort of allowed to 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 procreate, you know. I mean, that was the idea. So it was about you know the destruction of the Ukrainian nation, really. You know, that's what that's what that's what especially until 1943 when Germany really started fucking losing the war, you know, and that's when you know Germany's um um approach to U- Ukraine and the approach to these Ukrainian national movements switched and they suddenly you know, formed these Ukrainian SS divisions and sort of allowed them to to, to fight, and then you know began to kind of uh, uh, openly now back you know maybe the creation of a Ukrainian mm-hmm. state um, 
Uh, whereas before they arrested all the leaders and, and, and uh, uh, immediately after they proclaimed uh, an independent uh, Ukrainian state. I mean, it's kind of amazing, you know, that these guys are just like, are willing to swear fealty to a guy who wants to destroy their nation. I mean, these guys are such nationalists, mm -hmm. you know, such pure yeah. nationalists. I mean, they're like, these are, you know, these guys are total, you know, I don't know, like, uh, what's the, what's the hip, hip internet term for them? They're like, they're, you know, they're soy boys, basically, <laughs> or, or uh, betas or whatever you want to call them. You know, it's like they yeah, are. Um, they're all soy face bandera. Like, ah, Galicia. Yeah, I mean, ah. it's, uh, <laughs> and I'm sure. Oh, you want to wipe me out? I'm sure oh, that I'm all of that. genetically inferior. <laughs> and I'm sure all of that made it into the Encyclopedia of Ukraine, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> I'm certain. So, yeah. so, so yeah. Christy is editing this or helping to edit it and translate it at age 20. And I want to just, because we're talking about her, I want to I ask both of you guys, if in your teens and, and your early 20s, were you uh, sort of beholden to the lessons of your parents and grandparents uh, going back to the time you were a child, because for me, I was rebelling against you know pretty much anything they were talking about. I, I think that's just a normal thing to go through. But it seems to me, in Christie's case, she was. Uh, she was uh, Riley, you you compared her to Lisa Simpson in a way, and <laughs> yeah, she is a bit of a nerd. Um, but then again, I can't really cast stones because in uh, my late teens, uh, I was just playing World of Warcraft and posting on the internet uh, and, and painting little Warhammer guys. Well, that's a rebellion so I, of its I'll own. tell you, I mean, I, yeah, yeah, I mean, for me, it's, it's it, I mean, my parents couldn't really offer me much because we were immigrants. And so they didn't really have a, you know, they didn't really have much to offer in the sense of. Like, okay, his son, this is what you do in life in America. It's like they had no fucking idea. Yeah, right. Uh, and so I didn't really have a, I didn't really have anything to rebel against because they, there was nothing firm there. But, but, you know, it's interesting. I mean, I see, I get your point, but I, you know, I think it's important to remember that, like, I, I guarantee you that her grandfather, you know, was a kind of an impressive guy, mm -hmm. you know, especially the stories that he told and the life that he led, you know, and whatever. And the stories that, you know, the, the kind of the edited stories that he told her, you know. And so, you know, growing up and, you know, you know, and growing up in probably like just this whitewashed Canada that, you know, that is her youth, like, you know, going to this guy and who has, you know, comes from this old world and has these incredible stories of, you know, survival, yeah. you know, um, from, you know, and, 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 and escape from these horrible not communists, you know, and living in these, um, in these um uh, dp displaced persons camps and you know like the sort of the sort of like the whole epic journey and and the story that he told uh i'm sure it, i'm sure it was impressive you know and and, and like um you know uh, i wouldn't be i'm not surprised it had an influence on her you know i mean um just because it is it is you know if you kind of zoom out and and take away kind of the the kind of the ideology of this stuff it is it is he lived through something Kind of a, a, a unique moment in history. Well, it was it definitely more. Yeah. I'm sure it was um, more interesting yeah. than anything that was going on in Peace River at the time or yeah. Edmonton. So, yeah, you know, and he had like a firm probably, and he probably had a firm foundation like what it means to be a Ukrainian. Mm -hmm. You know, what it means, like what is the point of life? You know, which is like again something. You know, w one thing that I think you know why you, cr you nationalism is such a you know nationalism is more than any other ideology at this point, you know, like is like the only, I think, ideology that has any power these days. I mean, you know, um, 
obviously there's like the kind of the, you know, and nationalism can be layered on top of many different sort of, you can put it on, you know, neoliberalism, you can put it onto libertarianism, you can put it onto, you can even put it onto a kind of a version of, you know, so, of socialism or of some kind of hybrid socialism or something, but there isn't really beyond, you know, there isn't really anything in the world, you know, powerful, more powerful than nationalism today. And so the fact that he has this strong identity, the fact that it's like he's rooted into in some land and in some idea. I mean, I, 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 I guarantee you it had, you know, it like he grabbed her, you know? And, and so I, even though, even if she is a nerd and likes to listen to her parents or whatever, uh, uh, and is like a good student and got all those people, uh, you know, I, it doesn't surprise me that, that the, the granddaughter of a guy like that, yeah. you know, is influenced by his ideas. Well, I mean, when you think about like what, what Walter, what Walter Benjamin says about nationalism or he says about fascism, but I think it's sort of ex explainable as, with sort of nationalism as well. Which is that one of the things about it is that in addition to this connection to something greater, it also seems sort of daring and dangerous and aesthetically thrilling, right? He talks about the precision marching soldiers and crisp uniforms and the idea of destiny is itself kind of an, an aesthetic thrill. And so it doesn't surprise me really that like that it, if, if your grandfather, you know, I don't know, wants to talk about how he sorted bolts. Um, or you know, he worked in a factory that made boxes, or whatever. Mm -hmm. Versus, if your grandfather tells you about like our genetic destiny, basically, that sort of one is more compelling than another. I'm of course talking about the box factory. <laughs> no, it's true, it's true. But you know, but I'd say I, I guarantee you that like the kind of the, I mean, I, I'd say it'd be kind of it'd be interesting to know what he talked about or what his stories were. But I, I I'm. I, and maybe you know the sort of the the sort of um, militant kind of uh, um, version of sort of you know of, of nationalism or sort of you know kind of a whitewashed fascism. You know uh, the Ukrainian. You know it's funny these Ukrainian nationalist sort of historians. Uh, you know they re they try to rebrand their fascism and they they use this weird term called integral nationalism. Mm -hmm. That's right. Um, to like, which is like, the, which is like the key, like whenever anyone uses that term in, in, in academia, you know, they're Ukrainian nationalist or like a fellow traveler yeah. of Ukrainian nationalist and, and they're trying Croatian, to like rebrand. Uh, Croatian yeah. academics used in, uh, integral. I think that was, I think it was pioneered by the, by the Ukrainian emigre um, sort of historians and they, the way that they, they basically, it's like, oh yes, it's, it's, it's integral nationalism. So what the fuck is that? You know, it's, it's, oh, no, oh, it's just, you're a Nazi. Okay. Yeah. Got it. Anyway. Um, you know, it was, the thing that it probably, look, cause you remember like a, a big part of the Ukrainian nationalist myth, cause they lost, right? So they yes. lost. So they, they went with a side that lost the, their ideology lost when she was growing up, the Soviet union was controlled Ukraine. Right. And the Soviet union was like, you know, um, it was well, not, you know, communism and, and sort of Judeo-Bolshevism and all that was like the, 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 the early enemy of Ukrainian nationalism. It's sort of like in the, the formation, it was in the, for and it was in the formation of that ideology that this was sort of, this is the, the evil that it's fighting against. Mm -hmm. um, and so, and the evil won. And so you, here you are in Canada, like in some fucking, you know, like you're not supposed to be there. You're supposed to be in Ukraine. And here's this grandfather that was there that was part of this fight he lost you know and but the fight is ongoing and the enemy's still yeah. there and it's as strong as ever and these people try to wipe you out so you know part of the myth of ukrainian nationalism is that you know that the soviet union tried to engineer a genocide right right against the ukrainian people and um and and so like you have this you know this evil force that's still very powerful in the world you know uh and and here's your grandfather who who took in you know part in the fight and so it's like 
So it's almost like, you know, you can, you, if you can almost switch out from this, like, you can almost, you know, replace a couple of key ideas and key terms and like replace it with, you know, a kind of Zionism in a way, right? I mean, it's like, it's, it's, it has that kind of, it has that you're expelled from your homeland. There's this, you know, these sort of occupying force this evil yeah. force that controls it yeah this occupying force and it's it's your right it's your destiny to 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 kind of go back there and this is this is this is a part of your identity it also is, differentiates you from other people that you grew up with you know who aren't you know have, don't have that part of themselves so it gives you a strong core of, of identity yeah. um i mean it doesn't again like if a guy like him who is like sort of a, a, the part of the bourgeois class part of the propagandist class that helped you know that, that was active in um, the Ukrainian, na the Ukrainian nationalist movement it, it, you know, during the war doesn't surprise me that he had such an effect on her. It'd be weird if they, he didn't, to be honest. Because like, what else are you going to be? You're going to be just like, uh, w w what are her options at that point? Like, as, as I me, mean, I have no fucking idea. You would know better yeah. than me. What are her options? If she doesn't become a Ukrainian nationalist well, and a propagandist for the cause, like, what, what is she well, going to do? That's just the thing, right? This, I think this, this sort of connects it to the being a Canadian story as well, which is that I think there is a feeling among many Canadians that. You, you sort of have no destiny. You have no story. You know, the end of history mm -hmm. happened and the last man lives in Sudbury. Yeah. You know? yeah. And, and the fact that we are a settler nation. We are a nation yeah. of settlers. You know, it's, like nobody's it, from it's here. Why, when I moved like when I moved to um, to Europe, I, one of the first things I noticed was that everyone stops asking the question. So where are you from? Meaning like. Are you a seventh generation Italian immigrant or are you a seventh generation German immigrant? Yeah. Because like, I don't know, people from fucking Etobicoke will be like, oh, you know, well, my family's like that because we're Spanish. And it's like, well, you know, you're no, you're not. You've everyone you've we ever met has we lives love in Etobicoke. Fritas. Yeah. yeah. And like one, one thing I noticed is, you know, what I moved when I moved over here, I was like, yeah, fucking no one talks about that shit. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And okay, so it's yeah, it's interesting. You know, you're talking about um, the idea of the homeland and what are the options. You're in Edmonton, you know, and so Christie's option was she went back to the homeland um, when she was 21 years old. She uh, moved to Lviv and as a student, but then became deeply involved with this organization called Rook, uh, which was the People's Movement of Ukraine. It was a anti-soviet independence movement um they were instrumental in calling internal referendums in the ukrainian ssr um and and i want to i want to say before i get into the next part this shit never gets talked about when everybody when anyone is doing like a like a blowjob fucking puff piece on freeland and her ukrainian roots to try and sell it as some sort of like isn't it wonderful that we have this multicultural element of canada in government they don't talk about this part. Um, so she goes to Lviv uh, in 1989. And the, the, the outcome of this trip is that Pravda denounces her as an enemy of the people. <laughs> so so how did how did this? It's pretty funny. How, That's great. That's a great beginning. Know, it's a great beginning. We're going to ask yeah. how this happened. And I dug this up from um, this is. And again, this always gets left out of the bio. But from the Edmonton Journal. Uh, April 28th, 1989. I'm going to read this article. Uh, city woman in USSR tells KGB to get lost. So an Edmonton woman studying in Ukraine is alive and well after thumbing her nose at Soviet secret police. 
Halanya Freeland said her daughter Christia told the KGB to, quote, get lost when they invited her uh, in for talks in Kiev earlier this month. Am I proud? You bet, said Freeland, an unsuccessful NDP candidate for Edmonton Strathcona in the last federal election. The younger Freeland, a Harvard University student studying Russian language and literature, is on a one-year exchange program to the USSR. She's due to return next week. <laughs> Interesting. All of her credits are being actually taken in Langley, Virginia. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's basically, you, you know that it didn't happen, basically, right? Yeah. I mean, it, it's, uh, it's like, what does it get lost? Yeah, yeah. You know? I mean, it's, it's a, what, a, what, a, what a great little propaganda piece. Yep. I mean, there's, you know, there was some kind of, there was, I, 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 just to add to it, I don't know if this was on, because I don't know if she ever returned, probably this, maybe this was her only trip to, to the USSR, but there was a story in the Russian press that, w- that was making the rounds, uh-huh. and it's not clear... If it has like, you know, I mean, I'd, I'd say 50-50, it happened. But there was like, she was in some, she was in some camp um, with, you know, the, that, you know, the exchange students were in some yeah. camp. I'm very vaguely remembering the story. But like, and, and, and she got into a, basically a fight with some, with a, with a, with a, she got into a fight with a counselor there or a student who was there because um, she brought, you know, like some kind of chewing gum or whatever mm-hmm. with her or some kind of candy and like, she noticed that like the, the kids there, the Ukrainian kids there were like, you know, really were like after the rappers, right. you know, because like, it was a thing that was a thing that actually I don't even remember as a kid in the Soviet Union, you know, you play like there was, there were so valuable, these sort of Western candies and they're like rappers. And especially if they had like little comics in them or whatever, you know, like little we, things uh, actually, that we people should, would actually we collect them. We should mention them. that, yeah. uh, Yasha, you grew up in the Soviet Union. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So I was born in the, yeah, I was born in Leningrad and uh, left when I was um, almost nine in 1989 um anyway yeah so i remember that and 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 so and so she was and and she being the snotty sort of like privileged kid from from fucking harvard uh uh according to the source that was dug up by some russian tabloid um she um was making fun of these russian Mm -hmm. kids for caring so much and maybe she even you know maybe she even like threw them on the ground or like you know like and they had them fight over them or something like that you know and so some other kid, student or counselor i don't remember you know give the, the, this is the story um like stepped in you know to defend their honor got into a fight with her and then got expelled from the school from her school because of it. amazing and that was like some yeah so that's that's like a story that was going or making the rounds um because i think christy freeland is now like sanctioned right she's not yeah. allowed to come into the yeah into oh, Russia, we'll get into right? that yeah because Maybe she was, that was, I think that might have been part of that campaign, you know, to kind of like, to show what a horrible person she was, you know, in Russia. So I don't know if the story is true, but I, it could be true. It sounds well, like it could be true. that brings up a good point. You know, I'm going to add to that too, is that, you know, the, the story in Canadian media is that Christia Freeland is sanctioned in Russia because she spoke too much of the truth, you know, as her time, you know, in Russia, we hate the truth. Yes, as a this Moscow is, this journalist. This is 1984 over here. Yeah. You're not allowed to say true, but unpopular things. But, that thing, the thing that your gym teacher said, that what is popular is not always right and what is right is not always popular that poster from your gym teacher that's not allowed here that poster is shredded when we see it no truth telling exactly but the truth the real the big true true is that so she refused the kgb invitation to uh an an interview which pissed the soviet uh the soviets off so much that they fucking sent a letter to the canadian embassy in moscow saying and i quote your national is a well-known troublemaker and you should keep better control over your citizens when they are agitating. Yeah, just 
Just just a quick question for Dan and Yasha. Um, why would the Soviet Union uh, necessarily be worried about uh, democratic agitators uh, in, uh, in, in, in who are sort of embedded there? Was there some kind of, I don't know, uh, stay behind network of committed fascists that were, uh, you know, just continuing to do things? I mean, yeah. I mean, that sounds that story sounds total bull, totally fake. Maybe it may be as fake as a story that's been going around Russian media about. I don't how know. She, I, I don't know. You know I don't know because the, you know there is another element to this story, which is the the person she was with, uh, another Edmonton exchange student, Ostep uh, Sterpenik, uh was arrested. Actually, arrested by the KGB oh, and wow. interrogated for putting up um, posters calling for like basically internal ref, internal ah, referendum okay. within. Uh, the Ukrainian gotcha. SSR, and he was, uh, according to this article, he was focusing on military bases, which is first of all fucking stupid, and second, and Weird. second of all, um, a really good way to get interrogated by the KGB. So this guy also, uh, I mean, if you, that's pretty funny, actually. <laughs> this guy also ended up. He ended up uh, working for Radio Free Liberty. He read about the Kronstadt Rebellion and was like, yeah. "That went fine. I'm just going to do another one of those." So you know, as a propaganda tool, this article is very is very interesting, but also it just kind of reveals the fact that she was in fact working for anti-state organizations and doing serious organizing in ukraine under the auspice of like i'm on a fucking exchange i'm a literature student you know she was yeah or 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 just that she was she was trying to do her like she was trying to do her she was like (laughs) instead of like you know rebelling against her own country she she was doing the rebellion in the soviet union (laughs) right so to your word it's like you know are you gonna do what you're like what you're what your grandpa tells you, you know, are you going to follow his example or whatever, you know, when you're like a, a young person, it's like, no, you're going to rebel against what your mom and dad and grandpa mm-hmm. tell you, right? She's like, no, I'm going to do, I'm, and you so, and so you do rebellion at home. No, she was going to do what her parents tell her and her grandpa tells her, and she's going to do her rebellion, you know, where the enemy is, you know, where the net, where the, where the enemy to our, to our, to our g- genome is. And so it, it's, it's, it makes sense. I mean, it makes sense if they kind of did this to to to, to fuck with the Soviet Union. I mean, I, it'd be weird if they were part of some kind of. I mean, who knows what, what was going on? But it'd be weird if there was so, some kind of covert, um, um, you know, plan to foment revolution. I mean, it'd be pretty fucking, be pretty pretty funny. I mean, look, I, I just, I, 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 I know the, you know, I, I don't know the the Ukrainian, um, um, sort of. You know, because because I, what year was this when she she went there and she, she got you know slapped in the wrist by the eighty nine? Okay, that's pretty late. Yeah, wow. I guess okay, you know so, it, okay, mu- look. It, it must be what she did okay. that caused it all to fall down. The eighty nine was already like at the moment of, of total of like of like almost collapse, and so uh, and so you know at the time, yeah. So she would be allowed to. So so there was no control really on things that you could bring in or the kind of literature you could bring in. So it's like there was a, this huge flood of um, a huge flood of. Um, propaganda was being brought in from you know from the West and sort of and people coming in and, and agitating. I mean, I know that Michael McFall was like in 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 Russia at the same exact around the same exact right. time, basically agitating for de- de- democratic movements. But I mean, I know that like you know just I know a bit more about sort of the 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 kind of the Israeli um, op to, to do something similar, um, which is to kind of ignite Z- Zionism in in the Soviet Union by bringing in. Very Zionist propaganda and, and, and sort of handing it off to 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 sort of this underground activist um, um, networks that then would 
you know, translate this stuff and pass it around as, as, um, and, 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 you know, to basically try to get like Zionist ideas circulating among Soviet Jews in the Soviet Union. I mean, I, I mean, I'm, Ukrainians were doing the exact same thing, uh, at, at the same, at the same time. Um, and, and, you know, and so it doesn't surprise me, although, you know, her being there in 89, it's like, that's already the term. I mean, it's already the terminal point has been fucking reached and in essence already sort of it's over yeah. at, at that, that point oh, yeah, at, at that I think, point uh, for the Soviet, they're picking so over the not, corpse so it's like it's it, so it's so it's funny it's funny that she's yeah it's pretty late in the game but so but she but so she's actually makes it's interesting because she's like out there specifically organizing for that yeah, organ, for, organization for Rook. Right, Rook. and and it's and it's, it's not so this yeah. is another thing that doesn't get covered a lot it's not just her right this is a family project so her mother helena would end up helping to write the constitution of a newly independent Ukraine. Um, she would basically help sort of build the framework by which new laws were adopted. And um, she would do that by, uh, she and this Ukrainian lawyer, Sergei Holvati, would petition George Soros uh, for support in creating something called the Ukrainian Legal Foundation, which was a, yeah, it was a player in establishing framework, the framework by which laws would be adopted. And the particular focus on this framework was was property ownership, right? Private property. Um, and it's trying to solve the question of how do you transition uh, this monolithic uh, communist country to free enterprise? And that was something that her uncle, uh, Bogdan, was deeply, deeply involved with as well, Helena's brother. So, Yasha, I was going to ask you to kind of explain what Freeland's uncle was doing uh, in terms of what I like to call reverse land reform. Yeah, no, I mean, look, I mean, it's interesting because I, uh, so um, her uncle, uh, Bogdan Ch Chomiak, um, so the son of the, of the, of the grandfather, you know, the, the son of the guy who ran the, the, the paper in Nazi occupied um, uh, Poland. Um, you know, he, he got into agriculture, right? So he was kind of in, in, in I think that was his, I think that was kind of his, um, uh, maybe part of what his education focused on. So he was, so, you know, he had, he had some expertise in agriculture, and um, in in the nineties, um, in the nineties, you know, he uh, went back to Ukraine, right, and um, began to work in various um, like NGO projects, um, some of them backed by USAID to, to privatize, you know, collectivized land. So um the yeah then that's what he did you know and so that's what he did in the 90s and there's um to 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 basically take land so there's these you know collective farms that um kind of stood around and 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 the people who used to work on them you know like owned them collectively and so the thing that he was involved with was coming up with ways of actually taking that collective land and private you know privatizing it you know breaking it up and um and 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 giving each each worker i guess their own little lot um and it's so uh, yeah, that that and, and and he's and he's worked in, and and he's worked in that field ever since. I mean, he's um, you know, he's. I mean, I'm trying to look at I'm trying to look look at look at my notes here. You know, I'm trying to see like what what he said because I he's, he says it he says it. Um, he was look. I mean, he was trying to like destroy the last vestiges of of, of like collect, public ownership, or common ownership, ownership yeah. of yes. Yeah, of, of 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 you know I don't know some kind of socialism or socialist ownership of of the land, and so 
and to create a market economy based on that. Because you know, then once you once you can privatize little chunks of it, then investors can come in and you know buy up the land from different you know the different people. You can like you know you can securitize the land. You can like use it as a, a way of a collateral on, on a loan. So it's so. For a lot of you know free market types, you know libertarians, land privatized land is 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 like the you know sort of the bedrock, the the, the first the foundation of a market economy, right? Be, without privatized land, you cannot have a market right. economy essentially. Yeah. You know, and so and so you know what he was saying, he, he you know there was a, there was a there was a USAID uh, actually has a, a nice little newsletter um, that it puts out, or uh, it's called <laughs> Frontlines. <laughs> And, yeah. um, and it's he, on Substack and, now, and actually. Got, and, you know, he's featured in it. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. He's featured <laughs> in it. And, you know, it's like the, the article is like, U.S. helps Ukrainians divide collective land. And there is a picture of these two Ukrainian peasants. <laughs> Just thrilled and the that guy, they're no longer going to be burdened with land yeah. ownership. They look like they look like they've made, you know, they have homespun clothes. It's pretty weird. Um, and, you know, the guys, you know, he's tilling the land with what looks like a it might be actually connected to a, a cow or a, or like a mule or something. You know, it's a pretty basic stuff here. And so he, you know, and so he says, um, so he's working with this kind of weird, very like kind of a spy connected uh, consulting company that was at the same time like doing weird shit in, in Iraq with like manipulating um, ra- rice yep. prices and like rice contracts for Iraq. It's called. It has a very. It has a very 1970s CIA name. It's called. Chemonics, uh. you know, chemonics, uh, which is like, it's a weird thing to do. Chemonics, I guess it's, you know, connected to food, you know, chemonics, just whatever, you know. And so USAID was, it gave a contract to this, to this company. And so this is what, um, and Bogdan had a hand in that. He was sort of overseeing the program while working for USAID. And this is what he said. Um, we had three goals in mind. An end to collective farming. <laughs> That's one. Number one. <laughs> Fair just. Dis- yeah, fair distribution of land and the creation of a land market. You know, so they want to create, um, yeah, a, a market of privatized land so you can buy and sell land on the market. It's great. You know, it's working a, super well. That's it. You know, and, and yeah, yeah, and and Ukraine has never been doing better yeah. since. You know, uh, <laughs> Ukraine, a country pure pop. Pu- Sorry, go <laughs> on the move. <laughs> and he says, he says, he says, the rich agricultural land of Ukraine is one of the greatest assets. And helping to put those assets into the hands of its citizens is a powerful way to hasten the country's transition to a market economy, says Mr. Chomek of USAID. There you go. Um, I mean, look, you know, I mean, just look, he's so he's and he's been in this business ever since he's he runs a consulting uh, company that uh, helps foreign investors to invest in in agribusiness in Ukraine. I mean, you, I mean, he's right. I mean, Ukraine um, um, is, you know, is like the breast ba- is just it's like has it's a breast basket bread basket for um, for you know, for the Russian Empire, for the Soviet Union, and which and you, it's it's the fertility of its soil. You know, it's is 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 famous and sort of it's like it's and it's why you know Hitler wanted to get his hands on it. You know, he saw saw Ukraine as the place that would grow all the food for um, you know this greater Reich that he would that he would that he would establish um, in Eastern Europe, and so. Um, it's, it's been an, it's a, it's a huge asset. He's right. And so he, what he was trying to do was to, you know, it's, it's, I mean, look, it's actually kind of incredible. So his grandfather, you know, lost the war, you know, and, and sort of the Ukrainian nationalists and the Ukrainian fascists lost the war. Uh, they, and the Soviet Union won and, but they did, but the Soviet Union didn't win for long because one generation later, right. Just so, the, you know, the, the dad 
uh, fled to Canada, raised these kids, and already and they are, already came back as adults to a kind of to a, a free Ukraine, you know, free of communist influence, to institute sort of the original vision that uh, the Ukrainian nationalists, the Ukrainian fascists, had for the land. You know, and part of that vision was obviously not collective ownership of anything, uh, but privatized ownership. Uh, and so, and so he, you know, it's it's incredible, you know, how 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 just such a short time later, this family was able to return back to, to this land and to um, institute the thing uh, that they wanted to do. I think in the first that place. underlines, um, you know, the next thing I wanted to talk about and kind of solves a contradiction for me, which. Which is, if we're talking about Christia Freeland's ideology to the extent that she has one, and I think she does, in doing research on this, I was, I was, you know, reading about her time in Moscow when she's editing, she's at the Moscow desk of the Financial Times, The Economist, whatever. And it's always been strange to me that she is in Moscow during the collapse of the Soviet Union and witnessing one of the biggest financial planning catastrophes of the 20th century, right? Like this grand experiment that just led to immiseration and fucking chaos. And then she writes two books on wealth consolidation in the elite class and learns precisely nothing, like believes in this free market that her uncle and her mom are working hard to make a reality in Ukraine. You know, and I think that solves that solves that issue because her her own personal ideology solves that contradiction for her. Like, yeah, well, I think like partly, yeah, I, there are a few things here, right? I think the idea that if you if you walked up to like a liberal party politician and said, "Aha, you know that uh, you're, you're part of like that your sort of a, a, a let's say this." a family project in which you have like played a part that has its roots sort of in the mid century right as part of that um you know like, like uh, this, there has been this involvement in uh involvement in witness to advocacy for sort of free markets in eastern europe i don't think any sort of liberal politician would sort of see that as a gotcha i think where it comes in especially is Again, what we talked in the previous episode about things that are unable to be inscribed on what Lacan would call the big other, right? Things that are that just sort of slide off common knowledge, um, which is mm -hmm. that all of this you know, it hasn't worked terribly well, <laughs> I guess no. you could say. And there is sort of over and over again, uh, there is uh, Freeland and her you know family are sort of involved in pushing for it. Uh, in implementing it, in justifying it, in advocating for it, uh, over and over and over and over, and you know, you might say almost it is a <laughs> failed experiment. Um, and this is, I mean, look, I, I think I, I might have mentioned C. Wright Mills a, a little earlier, or if I haven't, it's because I'm always talking about C. Wright Mills, um, which is that in his book, The Power Elite, he talks about this sort of. Um, uh, uh, this theory that sort of they seem to have, which he calls crackpot realism, which is, uh, in brief, this idea that, um, and this was talking specifically about guys like your know, Alan Dulles or Jim Angleton or whatever, like that's who this who, who Mills was writing about, really. Uh, these sort of mid-century sort of gray-suited CIA guys who were like, you know, uh, masters of the universe under Eisenhower. Um, and this was all about sort of Cold War belligerence for him. How there is 
the, there is a, a power elite, right? And this is guys like, um, this, and this is sort of the, 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 your standard, you know, um, uh, mega ca- American capitalists. And then also the sort of powerful political uh, and literary, um, uh, uh, they're, they're political and literary uh, sort of handlers, you might say. And, uh, mm-hmm. and, and he talks about this, this philosophy, crackpot realism, which is, it is only realistic, for example, that we could preserve world peace if we increase the chances of, you know, the annihilation of the human race in a sort of, you know, nuclear firestorm. And that these things become just accepted because they are said by important people in gray suits who are very important sounding and must be taken seriously. And I sort of see... Uh, in, in this history of, of Freeland and sort of her association with uh, Ukraine or association with Russia. And then what it really clicked for me, as you say, Dan, when she wrote, she writes about like wealth inequality and, and, and so forth, but she's not able to look beyond or not, not able and not willing to as well, because she's you know, an, an ideologically bourgeois. Why would she look beyond it unless she was a class trader, which she's not? Um, she, but she's unable to look beyond the we must raise the sort of standard of living of, of people. We must provide for them or they must have what they need to live a dignified life. Uh, they must have this kind of freedom. And the only lever that someone like Freeland, and this is and this from, from sort of her advocacy of, um, uh, in, of, of decollectivization of farming in Ukraine in 89 to sort of, you know, um, to uh, uh, her work in the Canadian government now, as we'll talk about some examples, mm-hmm. is she is she is unable to like let go of this thing that in order to spread more wealth, uh, in order to enrich people generally, in order to improve the lives of many people, we must in, we must implement these policies that will massively enrich a small number of people, and this is completely crackpot. It is nonsense. It is bizarre. And because she's seen that it doesn't work, and and, and, she, and she, she she has written these several books. She's written books about wealth inequality, and that's the and that's the other a point I think of like the idea of the smart politician, the nuanced politician, overeducated, whatever you want to call it, is that is that nuance, detail, and um and, and are essentially tools of obfuscation that are used by the crackpot realist. To make you not see the evidence of your own eyes, to make the um, mm-hmm. to justify the unjustifiable. I mean, if we want to talk also about like about um, Freeland and the comparison with you know Dulles and and Angleton in them, you know, I, I see like I, I, when I look at Freeland and you know we can talk a little bit more also about like her foreign policy or relationship with Wang Guaido and stuff. I, I was telling you earlier, Dan. I said, yeah, she's Dulles in a dress and wearing a different color tie. Right, like the power elite yeah. have the same interests, and someone like Freeland. She's Dulles yeah. wearing. She's Dulles wearing a Je suis feministe shirt. You know, <laughs> That's right. like. But like even even then, right? Like her, the um, you might say the uh, liberal party's embrace of um, sort of the more nationalistic elements of the uh, anti-Russian resistance in Ukraine. Uh, you might say there's a little bit of an echo with Dulles's um embrace of the Galen network in um and, and that would then become sort of German federal intelligence that was like the Nazi intelligence operation just with new hats basically yeah you, you know what's interesting I mean I, I I totally agree with you but I think there's another element of this which is you know the the, the specific you know the kind of the, the the specific weaponized immigrant 
aspect of who she is and what her family is, you know, like, so she's, you know, uh, she's because she, <laughs> again, like, you know, uh, Ukrainian nationalists and Ukrainian fascists, you know, first sided with Nazi Germany because they thought that this would be because Ukraine will always have to side with an mm -hmm. empire, will always have to side with an empire um, in order to survive. Right. And so it has to take its picks or, the, you know, the Ukrainian sort of ideologues or Ukrainian leaders who want to create this U Ukrainian ethno state, you know, they have to side. They want to pretend like they can be independent and they have, they're powerful and you know, their soil and their blood gives them, you know, the superhuman power that allows them to create, to live independently and to kick out all the invaders. But in reality, they always have to be second to a to larger subordinate, power. just the yeah. reality. And so subordinate. Yeah. So they, they have to have a master, right. And, and, um, there, that master was Nazi Germany. Um, there was, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, they were, uh, it worked because the, the fascists sort of Ukrainian fascism and, was pretty much based on 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 a kind of German fascism, and so. But when they lost the war, they had, they they had a new client empire or a new client power, which is America, right? And the American Empire, and and so when they moved, you know, the the family moved, and all the other families moved to Canada or to America. You know, they kept the sort of their their core ideology, but they but then but they also fit in to a kind of a you know whether whether or not where they were they were with the Republican Party or now where they you know Ukrainians are frequently with the Liberal Party now or with the Democrat with the Democrats in in America right um, they fit in into the society so they're not like so they're like they're still they 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 um I don't know they, I, I they have power but they don't really have that much power they're just sort of following a, in a way like the rules that have been established for them and and are, and are working within that, you know? So, I mean, you were, you just, you mentioned the Dulles. I mean, I think it's giving her a little bit too much credit, you know, to, to call it the Dulles, the, the Dulles party. Cause you're, you're talking about like, you know, a ruling elite American sort of settler family. I don't know. Uh, and, and uh, whereas a, a kind of a, you know, I mean, a, a kind of a weak dynasty, I guess, you know, from, from, from Christian Freeland that isn't really, I mean, what is her contribution to what is her innovation, you know, or what is her like, real, impact you know that that she's that she's uh you know that she's had on um on, you well know, i want to i want to get into that Canadian now like policy. because yeah. i feel yeah. like yeah. i feel like um you know freeland as a member of this group you know that we've been that we've been detailing has gotten closest out of anyone i can think of is closest to the levers of power now and you know her time in politics is very strange and and very boring and I, th I think a lot of it i think that fact makes it and and it's also like kind of a litany of failure which makes it really hard to swallow some of the more puff piece you know major media uh selling of her as something good or or something canadians should be proud of so like she meets justin trudeau at a book signing um and he convinces her to run for the liberals in Toronto after Bob Ray vacates his seat. That's, that's her beginning in politics. And she wins this narrowly. And within four years or within two years, rather, she's the minister of foreign trade. That that's her political uh, trajectory, yeah. you know? Um, and, and, and while minister of foreign trade also like she's, her, one of her big achievements is sort of getting, it's sort of pushing CETA along, right? Uh, which is the Canadian European Trade Agreement, which is like the the trade agreement that again would have been the model for like um, uh, TTIP, but then you know TTIP you know, didn't go through, but CETA did, and so like for example, yeah. we can if you want to uh, Christian Freeland who writes in tw in 2012 books about like you know how um, 
there the the capitalist crisis is basically down to and I'm not joking here uh companies forgetting to be good international citizens basically she writes some yeah. ESG nonsense <laughs> although they didn't call it that then they called it like it was like three rebrands ago of whatever ESG is now also happens to have like you know been one of the driving forces in a law that says that if you like that a, a company can sue a state if they uh are um a, a company could sue Canada or a European state if they uh that that company finds itself um disadvantaged uh, by that state's laws, right? Which you know we kind of covered uh, the fallout of that, which is uh, Rogia Montana Mining Company literally fucking suing the state the the country of Romania for four and a half billion dollars because Romania didn't want them pouring cyanide into rivers in the Carpathian Mountains. Yeah, exactly. Like, right. Like this is. That's, she writes the she, I, if I have the words here right, um, but she says um, in the 1950s America was relatively egalitarian, much more so than compared to now. Uh, but the super rich now are global, and that's not a sort and that's not sort of cultural a cultural choice of theirs. That's something that's imposed on them by the nature of the world economy. Increasingly, I think you're actually seeing what, ironically, was the dream of Marxists. You're seeing the emergence of an international class um, of billionaires. Which is you're so so good that Harvard education paying dividends was, was <laughs> that the dream of Marxists? Well, I think I like, think she's saying the dream of Marxists was the international an, an international class, but she's like, but this new international class is a billionaire, it's not the working class. I think she, I think you, you see you gotta you see you gotta um, you gotta interpret um, the terminology or her language. In sort of the, the the she's de-democratize it, you know what she means when she says what she what she what she means when she says Marxist, she means Judeo Bolsheviks, and so when she means the the obviously the goal of Judeo Bolsheviks is to create an international class of Jews who control the fucking world. <laughs> uh, I mean, there, there you goes. go. You know, I'm, I'm, just I mean, I I, I <laughs> so like. So I mean, so, so I mean, so in a way, she's she in her, in, a, in a way, it's more successful because it's not just you know Jews. It's it's an it's a multi ethnic oligarchic class that controls the world. So it's actually a lot more progressive. Uh, um, she, she says, "Yeah, you don't do this in this kind of chortling, smoking cigar, conspiratorial thinking way. You do it by persuading yourself that what is in your own personal self interest is in the interest of everyone else." So you persuade yourself, actually, that government services, like things like spending on education, which is what created social mobility in the first place. Again, Harvard education, mm. paying fucking dividends, need to be cut so that the <laughs> deficit will shrink so that your tax bill doesn't go up. And what I really worry about is that there is so much money and so much power at the very top, and the gap between those at the very top and everybody else is so great, that we're going to see social mobility choked off and society transformed. And again, it's, it's the... Um, the uh, this is this is someone who is you know I think a a dyed in the wool liberal. Uh, I think she probably is actually a liberal. I think she thinks of herself as a liberal. I think she doesn't think. I think I I think she doesn't think of herself as a fascist. I think she doesn't think of herself. I think she thinks of herself as hating fascism. As a matter of fact, yeah. I just think she's also yeah. done the mental gymnastics necessary that for that liberals always do when it comes to supporting our allies abroad. Um, and you know, maybe making excuses as to who they might be. Yeah. It's, it's interesting to hold that last quote that you just read Riley about social mobility with a quote, um, which we'll get to at the end of the episode, uh, about, um, her new budget for Canada. Cause she's now the finance minister. 
So I just want everybody to keep that last quote in their minds. Um, you know, so she moves on from being Minister of Foreign Trade, and within a couple of years, she becomes the Minister of Foreign Affairs. And in my opinion, one of the worst uh, people to have held this position. She, um, it's a disaster. She is banned from Russia already. Um, she, I think she's banned in 2014 as part of a like kind of that's what you want for your sanctions. foreign minister you want them to be unable to make any kind of diplomatic overtures to like a geopolitical rival it, that's what you want exactly and she starts uh aggressively meddling in south america um and you know in a lot of ways like maybe her becoming foreign affairs minister is good because she was so mask off with her approach to Russia and to South America that it did kind of expose the shit that Canada has been doing for decades uh, abroad. You know, because she was a big uh, Juan Guaido supporter as well. Huge booster of him. Oh, absolutely. Juan Guaido, uh, you know, famously came to Ottawa. Uh, She is deeply, deeply involved in something called the Lima Group, um, which is, you know, like an anti anti domestic socialist movement of loose coalition of quote-unquote friendly nations concerned about socialism um and in doing this episode it it came to me like she loves Juan Guaido because in a lot of ways she is a Juan Guaido Mm. she has these internal contradictions what she thinks what she believes but really there's nothing to there's nothing there you know like Mm. it it is an ideology of uh you know it's it's a boardroom ideology doesn't have a lot of material grounding. So again, this is from an article she wrote in 2015. She says, I believe that capitalist democracy has proved itself to be the only compelling universalist vision of how to live the good life. Uh, But a stable world order has failed to emerge (laughs) following the fall of the Berlin Wall. And that radicalism, uh, polarization, and economic malaise have come in its stead. Uh, But that again, she goes back to this idea that companies are going to have to account for internationality and show they're invested in the greater good. Where if if you want to know sort of what she's all for, it's uh, she's her ideology is that of the long 90s. You know, like she is uh, a little bit kind of the last man. It's because it's because of Canada's um, it's because I think it comes back as well to like Canada's nature as a place sort of out of space and or that sort of tries to insulate itself out of space and time that is just quite simply a a place where the 90s never stopped where we didn't have uh or we no one really knows that we had a housing bailout and all the prices just kept going up you know it is it it, it yeah yeah she sounds just she's yeah it's it's pretty it's pretty standard boilerplate li- uh, pretty standard boilerplate liberalism you know i mean it's or neoliberalism or whatever you want to call it i mean it's i mean it's it's like the the graining ideology of of, of but the thing is the anywhere else uh, that that ideology is uh, is either like you know, challenged or needs some kind of charismatic leader to help the pill go down. In Canada, it takes mm-hmm. like for example, it took Barack Obama once in a generation charis- like a particularly charismatically talented politician, right? At other places, it is you might say it is. Um, or Biden, no, but, uh, you know. But it's, um, <laughs> I don't know. Let's just say it was. Our, our, we never, we never had the shaking <laughs> of that sort of consensus that, like, that the yeah. U.S. had. You mean yeah, like well, you never had a Trump? That's what I mean. Like, the, it, it yeah. was never shaken. We were just sort of blithely going yeah. along with 
Yeah. Just say you want a Trump. Just say it. Just say you want uh, we, a Trump. That, that can, Canadian politics was able to blithely go along with that the whole time. We never, it, it was never shaken. There was never a problem with it. No one really ever lost that much faith in it. I mean, it's funny. It's like, that's the ideology of, in Russia that exists, the, the, the current ideology of Russia. You know, it's like the, yeah, it's, it's just, she seems so, it's funny. It's like, it's funny that she's in, in conflict with Russia and all this stuff. It's like, the, she has, she's sort of like the Western version of it. You know, it's a little bit more fruity or something. I don't know. Like, it's a little bit more like, has more flowery, not fruity, but flowery, you know, it's like, but like, it, it's not as kind of as, 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 but like, it's just that that's, that is the ideology. It's like, you know, markets are best. Private uh, investment is best. The government needs to stay out out of most most industries. Uh, what's good for entrepreneurs? It's what's good for corporations. What's good for society? Uh, you don't want to meddle in any of this stuff because you'll have you know it'll be you'll 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 just me- you'll just mess with the natural flow of things. I mean, the, you know, it's you can you can mess around the edges with it. I mean, it's what Trump believed too, <laughs> to, to to a large degree. I mean, you know, it's just that he had a kind of a, a quasi I don't know bullshit. I don't know what you want to call it, nationalist sort of layer over at the Bannon, Bannonite layer that never really amounted to much. Mm-hmm. But he still believed in like, I don't know what, it's still the same. It's like, it's, it's just flavors of the same thing, flavors of neoliberalism. I don't, she's, she's, she's yeah, yeah. Maybe, maybe I'm not getting the, the so particulars the of, of the Canadian context. The point that I'm making is that we never you know? needed to go beyond uh, yeah. the vanilla version of it. We never needed to try another flavor uh, yeah. because it, it, we were able yeah. to just have like, you know, whatever, like, you know, script just runs in Juan yeah. Guaido's head. We were just able to be like, oh, yeah, we'll just have that. We'll have that. We'll run yeah, it here. It's going to be we fine. Like that. Yeah. Because of the intense complacency yeah. that defines Canadianness. People love it. I mean, if you look at any response, any response to any pro Freeland posting online, there are, I, I mean, against all odds, against reality, there are hundreds of people who are like, Yas, Queen. You know, like, go Christia. It's just like, for what? Because, you know, you sanctioned 70 Venezuelan government officials because you suspended uh, our embassy's operations in that country when it was moving in a political direction you didn't like. Like, what have you, what have you done? What have you really accomplished? So, to me, you know, we've, we've been covering the, the life and, and political history of, of this person, their, what they believe in, you know, the, the, the sort of ideological through line of their life. And the thing to me, being a Canadian, um, that's the most distasteful about Freeland being a public figure are the endless whitewashing articles about how great she is. You know, I'm thinking of a, a Toronto Life article um, called The Negotiator that came out like apropos of nothing that covered her friendships with people like David Frum, her, you of course, covered her Ukrainian heritage without mentioning anything that we've talked about on these last two episodes, um, but is telling you, you have to like this person, you should like this person, this person is good. And not only that, as a Canadian, you should pat yourself on the back for essentially being part of a country that would elect such an amazing woman mm. to government. And that, to me, is a bitter pill to swallow. <laughs> and I think it's also important to note, right, that in that article, The Negotiator, the, this is from 2017, they, the, the, the tagline is, she didn't plan to become democracy's last best defender, but one doesn't really plan for Donald Trump. And I mean, awesome. Oh, so fuck. cool. 
Uh, but if you want to like, if you want to think about, if you want to think about like what her role really is, her role as um, as again like a liberal anti-communist, as uh, as a a sort of free as an ethical free marketeer, as someone who is essentially branding the ideology of the power elite for people who you know aren't aren't super into you know um, you know the 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 gray suited cold warriors or whatever. Uh, you know, for the nineties, two thousands, twenty tens, twenty twenties, and so on. It's um, it, it's that the the power elite, uh, the 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 very wealthy capital, whatever you want to call it, um, is they don't really care kind of who's in charge, and they're very good at knowing which way the wind is blowing. And so, if oh, you absolutely. want your imperialism as you know, like um, rough and ready, you know, Aaron O'Toole, you know, let's uh. Let's you know support the U.S. invasion of Iran, whatever, whatever he's going to say. Fine, you've got it. If you want your imperialism as ah, the people of Bolivia cry out for freedom, you've got it in Christia Freeland, <laughs> you know. And yeah. we're gonna, and they're going to even be able, and, and, and is even able when everything is empire, when, when there is no border to empire, no end to empire, when empire is a given, it's a prior, whatever then conflict between those two sets of elites becomes meaningful because imperial management is just a given. It's something that must happen. The question of whether it ought to happen is sort of out of the question entirely. And so the idea Mm -hmm. that there is some great progressive victory being won in the personage or in the policy or in the career of someone like Christia Freeland is essentially a, just a capitulation to that crackpot ideology. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you know, it's, like it's not crackpot if you're if you're profiting from it. Yeah, I guess you know true. it's uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, a crackpot from the losers, from you know, it. from the perspective. Yeah, crackpot from the podcasters' perspective. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, that's, that's the magazine <laughs> I, mean, I edited in the '80s. The podcasters' <laughs> perspective. Yeah, uh, I love that magazine. <laughs> yeah. Freedom, no, liberty, yeah, thing, I, dong. I feel kind of sorry for you Canadians. You know, you really just, you, you, it's just, it's just so, I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to do, you know, cultural imperialism here, but. Um, oh, here we go. Uh, but uh, you right, know, you're God, just, just tell kind us of, quarter just gr- gas is no good. Just say it, be out with it. <laughs> <laughs> it's just pretty grim. I don't know. It just, it just, it, all in all the scandals are just kind of like more, just they're kind of grimmer and kind of more boring. And just kind yeah. of, it's just, it's, 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 it's fucked up, actually. I feel sorry for you. I, I, I mean, I that yeah. in a lot of ways is the whole point of this podcast is to just dig into those. <laughs> but they're those pretty interesting, but they're just, there's something about it. There's just something about the way that they're covered and the way they're talked about. Um, you know, it's just, it's, um, so yeah, you're doing, you're doing, you're doing God's work with this podcast. <laughs> Thank you're trying you, to, you're trying trying. to um, de-grim uh, Canadian politics. Yeah. Yeah, we're we're. They say sunlight is the best disinfectant, you know. Um, but maybe you, you know, can, maybe you can wanna... do the podcast from some, somewhere sunnier and, yeah. and uh, like Eng- better climate, maybe yeah. like Britain, for example. What if, what if like Canada? Britain, what if, yeah. maybe Canada needs you know some kind of sunny colonies that it can control? Well, maybe it'll oh, we should do an character. episode about this. How Turks and Caicos keeps like there's this I, there's this constant plan yes. to like annex Turks and Caicos to be a Canadian province. You know, yeah, it's still doing Caribbean imperialism yeah. back uh, in <laughs> the, year, the year of our Lord, 2021. Uh, give, give, give it just, uh, just tell, tell Freeland it's part of Greater Galicia. 
Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Actually, there's a lost tribe of Galicians and uh, Turks and Caicos, and so I want to. I want to as we close out here, because um, we've been going for a while. I want to look at just briefly what has Christia Freeland done recently, like, um, and and I have a few a few major. Um, sort of I you can't call them successes they are definitely things that she's done number 1 uh she's turned the money tap back on for the victims of communism memorial which uh which we've been talking about for the last couple of weeks on this podcast um originally a conservative project shut down by the liberals restarted like frankenstein style brought back to life she has as her first act as a finance minister liaised with a anti-union organization called the uh cfib the she has been dubbed the recovery czar or post-pandemic economic recovery and her first act was to meet up with these you know basically like uh a wing of like the ideological movement of small business small business tyrants and and then finally my favorite she feels about being called a czar (laughs) <laughs> probably pretty good actually she's like yeah the czars had the had the right thing going on they had the right idea but my but my favorite recent thing is in responding to criticisms of her budget surrounding a 110 billion dollar canadian emergency wage subsidy plan that was used to boost executive pay she said her office said ceos are workers too which is <laughs> Ah, we didn't even need to do the podcast. We could have just said that and everyone would have known what we were talking about. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, yeah just, and maybe she's just like being extremely class reductive and being like, yes, well, CEOs do earn a wage. It may be very large, but they do earn a wage nevertheless. Yes. Which is totally at odds with this progressive figure that is that is kind of force fed to you by the media here. And, you know, if I'm going to put a cap on this, I would say if there's any takeaway I have, it's that in Freeland, we can see this new type of neoliberal politician and a, and a new way to package imperialism and anti-left, anti-labor politics. And it's the politics of death and austerity. And in her case, it, it springs from this fascist dream that her grandfather had, this dream that has mutated and been kept on life support thanks to uh being here in canada Cheer do you me. think she'd be less do you think she'd be less uh, horrible if she if she, her grandfather wasn't a nazi uh yeah i do actually i do i mean her politics i mean her her politics her kind of neoliberal politics and yeah i mean does I she do, differ I, does she i'm actually curious cause does she differ you know in terms of is there is, is there like you look at just the, sort of the you know the people that are in you know around her and preceded her um were they less horrible than she was? Is there like a is there like a big? Um, well, I mean, uh, I, I I think like you, yeah. I look the way I see it right is, I I think that there might be a certain sort of zeal for many of the um I think there 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 is a certain zeal uh for sort of you might say some of the more sort of imperial uh, and belligerent elements of neoliberalism that might you know you can maybe you can make an argument are sort of you might say the family business um mm-hmm. of, of, in her case but i think also right one of the one of the points to take away here as well is that the 
the dream of em- uh, the, the dream of empire right is it does not depend on one person it doesn't depend on you know connections with the nazis right like you know like it it doesn't take the us isn't evil because of some decisions that were made in the 1950s in you know north virginia right the, the, these things are deeper and more structural and what i the what my what i think right is that there is no it's not that neil it's not that you might say the whatever kind of neoliberalism you might want to talk about doesn't compromise when it looks over at you know it's um the the deals that it makes you know whether that is sort of you know um uh, early us imperialism before it was neoliberalism in the sort of 50s and 60s uh whether that is decisions made to sort of prop up united fruit in um in in, in the later part of the 20th century sort of or whether that's um you know the the war on terror and sort of the 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 use of the sort of the war on terror the use of imperialism to just continue always having new justifications to turn the big money hose on sort of the, the wealthiest and most powerful people in history and it's it's that the there these compromises are not necessary but they're not compromises they're just sort of easy handshakes between all of these different ideologies and so i don't see it as a compromise i see it as a kind of harmony you know where you know where, where like did her experience you know is a sort of anti-communist did her experience as an anti-communist shape her anti-communism now sure are there tons of people who are exactly as anti-communist because they came up through the canadian school system and went to you know the study international relations at the university of toronto or whatever and you know went to the monk center and now are you know diplomats or whatever yes also that it's that they they might not have any kind of missionary zeal with the task they perform but they do the same thing and to me it's the it's that you know these these things just are are united by the fact that they are they are reaction they are united as, as reaction effectively I, yeah you know i guess because i have a particular perspective on it i mean I, you guys are you know the you you kind of brought me in to talk to you guys, but I'm I'm more of, I'm, it's funny I'm kind of more I've taken taking the role of almost an audience member listening to what you guys are saying because it's actually a, a lot of the stuff I don't know about Canadian politics. But I mean you know uh, you know Freeland, what makes her interesting to me is 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 how you know like when you have these multi ethnic societies like you know or uh, like America is or like Canada is to 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 a slightly lesser extent but still it's a multi ethnic it isn't doesn't try to say that there is one ethnos that is that 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 this that this country belongs to sort of ex- opened up a bit you know what are what are the what what is the ideology that you use to kind of bind all these different sort of you know emigrant groups or, or uh, immigrant groups or just you know eventually just groups of people that that have a, a different religions and that have different kind of histories of where they came from right like what is the thing that you use to bind them in this multi-ethnic state that isn't socialist that is aggressively anti-socialist it is aggressively anti-capitalist it's aggressively against a kind of a you know a unified um i don't know ideology you know bring together people in this way so you use nationalism you know and 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 you use and so what's interesting about freeland and what's interesting about other kinds of you know emigres like her that come from all over the world and, and kind of bring a, a nationalist ideology with them is that how sort of durable and how and how it can be it's weird you you can use nationalisms right different nationalisms to integrate people into a into a canadian whole or into an american whole you know so you can be 
a Canadian American, a Canadian, a, a Ukrainian Canadian, or you can be a Ukrainian American. You can be a Italian American. You know, you can be a like I don't know, like you can be a you know a Russian American and believe in some kind of greater Russia, although that doesn't really exist as much. You can be a you know a Vietnamese American and believe in some kind of you know uh, I don't know, like what you're like some kind of Vietnamese or, or uh, monarchy or something, whatever it is that you. But you bring it in. You bring all these. You bring in the nationalist identity is like the binding glue which is kind of um it doesn't it, it it wouldn't make sense right if you if you proposed it because it's like wait aren't these people just gonna war with each other you know like uh for dominance <laughs> in this new state but like in these kinds of multi-ethnic em 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 empire it, it does make sense everyone has their own little world that they that they circulate in um these ideas um that um you know, I, I, so it's interesting, like nationalisms as the glue, you know, of a multi-ethnic society. I, I think yeah. as long uh, as those nationalisms yeah. are in the service of the yes, broader precisely. interest of the nation state, like. Yes. Because remember, yes, remember exactly. what happened when uh, a, so a Ukrainian community organization got a little bit too left wing, a little bit too Soviet. It's, to, it's property was expropriated and it was basically eliminated. So it exactly, exactly, exactly. And so there's the exactly. So it's always the dual element. So you have like the sort of like the, you know, you have like the kind of economic ideology, I guess. And then you have the kind of um, the kind of uh, identity uh, politics of, of a community. Right. So as so totally, totally. But like but the, what's interesting, you know, even when I was talking to Dan about this, you know, off the air and uh, whenever we hang out, we talk about this is that, you know, the Ukrainian uh, the sort of the more socialist uh, or communist inclined Ukrainian community, right, wasn't like exclusively Ukrainian, or it, it would actually try to like have a have a mass movement and reach out to other uh, emigrant communities and to create like sort of multi ethnic organizations, right, rather than just mm -hmm. sort of you know maintain a little core of ethnic identity, uh, uh, right. So like uh, e even that was not like nationalist in the same se in, the, in the sense that I'm in the same sense that like. You know, nationalist. Um, you know, Ukrainian Canadians sort of see themselves right. It's not they're not like. So uh, I, mean, yeah, I think one of the um, one of the it, other it's, things, it's, right, that I think sort of provides this glue as well is the, uh, the idea among a lot of right wing nationalist um, diaspora groups is the idea that we will return home someday. You know, that mm -hmm. there's the idea that we we are going to work in concert with empire. And then we are going to be able to be returned home. We will be restored to our place. Whether that is, you know, like a, 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 a North Vietnam, whether that's like getting Fulgencio back in, and, or that, that's whether that's like restoring a sort of, you know, Batista style Cuba, like a Bay of Pigs. Like the idea is always we will work with you, uh, the empire, uh, to go back to our home. And we're going to enjoy the comforts of being in the Imperial Corps while we're here. But our destiny is elsewhere. Well, and that never happens, no. right? Yeah, exactly. Like, uh, yeah. like I'll bring it up. Like Fre Freeland owns an apartment on Maidan Square, which she proudly talks about in a, in in several interviews. I bought an apartment on Maidan Square so I can look down at the Maidan. You know, but does Freeland want to live in Kiev? I don't fucking think so, and I don't, and I don't fucking think I don't think anyone. She's a Canadian. The, yeah, she's I don't a Canadian. think anyone in the UCC yeah. wants to live in Ukraine because they know they know that this, uh, you know, this attempt to build the motherland is, and this is now like I'm not shitting on Ukraine, but it is at least from my time there in 2019 
on the ground, it has the feeling of a failed state. It feels like it, the train is going to go off the rails at any moment. And I don't think any of them want to live back in the motherland. They would like to live, you know, in, in Canada. And, and, and no one wants them there. I mean, they play these marginal roles and they play these sort of like, they play, you know, they play maybe key roles in sort of shaping some kind of uh, regulations or, you know, or, or privatization programs or, you know, helping like draft the constitution. But if you, when you look at like the business community, you know, like actually owns the assets in Ukraine, it's not the emigres that came back. It's like the people who are there who are able to seize the assets, you know, uh, like early on in the game, right? Uh, basically, they are all from Soviet Ukraine, you know. Um, and so, mm -hmm. and so, like the, the the you know the field is already full. You know, no one wants to let them in and like in on the game. It's like it's the same thing with Russia. It's like some people try to come back. You know, these white Russians that grew up in New York try to come back and make money. Some of them made money, but they were never able to you know grab a sizable chunk of the economy, like the kind of the homegrown. Um, you know, oligarchs or business elite eventually were able to do that because they were, you know, or organically part of the system that was privatized. They didn't come from the outside to privatize the system. And so nobody wants fucking Christy Freeland, you know, running shit there. There's like, you know, there's, it's a pretty, you know, it's a pretty, it's a pretty brutal game that's played there in, in Ukraine. You know, like it's, 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 it's to the death, man. You know, like in terms of the, the, the fight for politics and the fight for power and assets and wealth and resources of that country. So people like, you know, her uncle can come in and, you know, advise a, a, a USAID program and skim some money off the top. I'm sure he's a, a pretty wealthy man if he's, you know, uh, brokering deals with Western uh, corporations to invest in, in agribusiness in Ukraine. Mm -hmm. But he's not like a major player. He's just like a kind of a two-bit, you know, facilitator between the East and West, you know, between Ukraine and the West. And he can work for these imperial agencies like USAID, but they're not like major, major players, you know, right? I mean, so she is a Canadian, mm -hmm. but I agree with you what you're saying about like the dream. The dream is important to the nationalist identity, right? So we're all, we all agree. Yeah, we all, we all kind of serve the empire. The empire is the umbrella. That is like the Lord, you know, we, we, and so if the interest of our, you know, nationalism, right? Like, um, go against the interest of American empire, you know who takes precedent, obviously, the American empire does, and you abandon yeah, the homeland. Right. And so, and so, um, um, like, so, but it is, it is part of the myth, I totally agree, it's very important. It's like, you have to have that homeland to which you can aspire, you know, or, and, and, and even, even if you, even if like, or to which you can sort of work in, you can work in service of that homeland. So even if it's free, you can, you know, fight to keep it free or to keep it free of the sort of invading forces, like what's going on in Ukraine now, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, in theory, Ukraine has been liberated, mm -hmm. you know? Um, <laughs> yeah. And so your job is done, go move, you know, go yeah. move and create a wonderful land there. Yeah, no, she's not yeah, going to do that, obviously. But what she will yeah. do is she'll- No, not going to do that. She'll prove a lot of yeah. money for, um, for, uh, uh, you know, like you might say, uh, certain uh, battalions, for example, yeah. for certain certain security measures to keep this dream alive. For cer <laughs> certain unnamed battalions, no, and 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 again, here's where her nationalist identity and her sort of the, is is come becomes very useful to empire, right? Because she can use her family history, right, to justify this, to say like, look, I come from a family that has been battling these these, you know. Eastern devils, you know, uh, for generations. We know how they fight. We know what they understand. They only understand force. This is why we must award a contract to a Canadian company to supply them with, you know, weapons. So, 
I mean, it's it, her national identity is 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 also a, kind of a, a useful to empire, useful to a kind of a strange internationalistic unity at, at home, um, and and um, yeah, and it, so it's it, it, I mean, nationalism is pretty. It's a pretty. It's a pretty. Um, it's in a way like nationalism is kind of like kind of like capitalism or something because it's it's such a it can morph. You know, it can take many different shapes and can like sort of. Um, change itself to to whatever the the situation is and kind of fit in, yeah, you know, and and fill holes and because people need an identity and in these kinds of you know multi ethnic em- empires like who the fuck are you? What does it even mean to be an American? What does it mean to be Canadian? You know, it means shit. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, it it means I mean, shit. Who wants to be a pure Canadian? What does it mean? What does it actually mean well, to be a pure Canadian? Thing, yeah. It means <laughs> actually explain it to me because I have no idea. <laughs> it yeah. means nothing. That, it means nothing that you can acknowledge, and I think that's. Part of the appeal. It is pretty brutal. It means I don't know. It means going to fucking Costco. It means you know having a. It means having a two four. I can go to Costco and I'm in America. It means means, uh, having a double double at Tim's and sitting down with a nice long marathon of corner. What I mean is, is it's conspicuously empty. There is a conspicuously empty hole there because if you are a Canadian, chances are your life is just lived being carried along the stream of extraction and empire and you just kind of float along on this stream uh and then you just kind of eventually die and you have had many two fours (laughs) and you've had many trips to the fucking costco to get a two four a lucky and uh or or whatever it is don't don't tell me how you buy beer in ontario i haven't lived there in 10 years yeah um lucky yeah but what i what what i'm i think Uh, what i'm I'm getting at one of the sort of almost by way of like a wrap-up right why this is so sort of intoxicating is that she's providing lots and lots of stories she but she's providing stories that have always had sort of empire at their heart and the empire in this case is this the empire that sort of is um uh, uh, happily sort of glad it's it's the same empire you know that brought reinhard galen in from the cold you know it's the same empire that brought you that sort of looked at eugene dolman and said sure fine come and come in our side yeah you know and, and, we and like it. it is that same set of of handshakes that have been happening the whole time it's just we have it in a much we 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 have it in a much more sort of appealing to a sort of like a, a a liberal sensibility we have sold that to the canadian smug effectively the this idea yeah. of our moral superiority our status as a sort of sensible progressive nation whatever 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 all of that same us empire all of it uh, part and parcel it's just there and she's just the marketing for it, effectively. And and our our conception of you know capital C Canada as a homeland is in a lot of ways as mythological as the Banderites' uh, imagining of uh, Galicia. <laughs> it, the difference is we actually live in it. <laughs> I think you know what would be probably good for Canadian uh, identity would be to be invaded by someone. Uh, you, you, you know, okay, yeah. all right, uh, all right. Come on now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Man, I fucking live here. Come on. Yeah, all right. That's it. Thank you. This I wonder who. Been, uh, I wonder who. Who, who would? Who would do such a this, thing? This has been Bottleman. We have had no guests on today. Um, <laughs> We've done Stalinist uh, erasure. I am doing. I'm doing Russian erasure. I'm doing Russian Jew erasure right right now. <laughs> 
Uh, I mean, yeah, no, it's, uh, yeah, no, it's, it's, it, yeah, it's fucking brutal. Yeah, it's, it's brutal. It's brutal. But, uh, you know, and it, I guess, you know, what? also, I would just, while you were saying that, you know, I had a thought, like, why is, why, why, why Christy Freeland? Why now? You know, right? Why her among other people? You know, there's, I mean, it probably kind of does make sense with the rise of sort of the anti-Russia, you know, uh, of, of, the, of the empire, right? The, the anti-Russia politics, you know, like, I guess you could say that, and correct me if I'm wrong, but her the, her ascent kind of parallels the rise in you know Russia becoming the new threat. You know, again, you know, it's like the she was she was the catalyst. I mean, under her watch, we expelled diplomats on the on the premise that um, by talking about her grandfather's Nazi past, uh, ru- the Russian embassy here was spreading disinformation and eroding our democracy. But I'd say that this is, it has earlier, you know, I mean, she didn't, she didn't like make America go against Russia. I mean, in, in a sense, like, you know, the, the, the turn against Russia and, and suddenly, you know, it, it from being um, heralded as this beacon of freedom and democracy and reform and liberalism and all this stuff under Yeltsin to when Putin, you know, basically started kind of coming down on, on the oligarchs and started to started consolidating power, right? That, you know, that predates her, in, you know, her time in, in government. Um, so, I mean, so it's, so it's been kind of a long road that's gotten worse, obviously, after Maidan, you know, but, but like the anti-Russian turn has been kind of developing for a while now. And so, I mean, so I guess you can say her rise is kind of parallels that, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, and she, and, and, and so, and so she, in, in her identity as a Ukrainian emigre, um, you know, kind of gives her credibility and, and gives her, and, and, and sort of, uh, I don't know, it's like, it, it just makes sense, I guess. Yeah, not uh, unlike an encyclopedia or a, or a monument, you know. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right, I think we're uh, I think we're I think we're rolling to the end we are, here. We um, are. Plum out. It is very late for me, and I would like to is, go yeah. to bed. Does anyone have a tummy ache just before <laughs> no, we? No, I'm still good. I'm no tummy ache. I'm not right. hungry. Uh, I'm fee- I'm I'm. Uh, I am coasting on what Canadians feel all the time, just being borne along on a river, not really aware of anything around me. It's great. Me too. Me too. Yasha, um, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, Thanks for having me on. Epic, long episodes. Nice to see you guys. And, nice and, to meet you, by the way. Yeah. And it's nice to see you too, buddy. Ed, before we go, how can people support you monetarily? They can give me lots of money. I mean, I don't know. Uh, transfer money to my bank account. Uh, I mean, you can, you can, uh, if you, if you're feeling generous, uh, you can come over to my Substack and subscribe. Uh, it's uh, yasha.substack.com. I highly recommend this Substack if you're interested in, um, you know, lately you've been doing a lot of pieces on uh, Zionism and, and specifically like how it was sold to the Soviet Union. Uh, those yeah. have been great. Uh, you've got lots of stuff on weaponized immigrants. Um, some of the finest journalism out there. So I, I am sure. telling you, you should subscribe. Um, but yeah, I think that's about it for this. Uh, if you bonus. made it this far, you should definitely subscribe. You know. Yeah, exactly. Um, give yourself <laughs> a treat for making it this far. Um, but <laughs> thank you for supporting us here at the bottom end. Um, we are all collectively driving ourselves insane. So, and, and thank you for helping us in that. That's great. That's what we do here. Yeah, oh, my. that's right. All right. Um. So we'll see you. Uh. We'll see you next time, folks. Yeah. Bye, everyone. All right. Take care. Bye. <laughs>